Thank you, Glenn. No one gives an introduction like you do. That's very kind. Um, and he sort of did warn you, you know, a college professor, I teach graduate students mostly, uh, we, we meet nine weeks over a term. We have five-hour classes each time we meet, so to try to cram it all into a half hour, that's not going to happen. Uh, one of my students actually was the commencement speaker yesterday at graduation, and he told everybody, Paul keeps you all five hours. So if you ever end up in one of Paul's classes, that's what happens. I'll try to not, try, try to not do that tonight, right? You'll stay. Forty, four, four hours is okay? So, okay, just five is a little pushing it. So, okay, by midnight. We're good. Something like Paul and people falling out of windows. Things, we'll do that. Uh, so let's, let's launch right in. Uh, uh, there's a text I want to start with, Psalm chapter 24. Uh, and I want to just say a couple of things about it as I read a portion of it. As we get into the topic tonight, we're talking about vocational perspectives for us as individual disciples and for uh, the domains in which we work. How does this idea of vocation tie into that? Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. I want you to stop there and just think about the world that we live in. Uh, the world and, and the people who dwell in it, we, we live in, in cities and in neighborhoods. And we live in such a way that we need each other. We have businesses and we have nonprofit organizations and we have grocery stores and we have people who are manufacturing things and we have scientists and engineers in schools. And this all, all those who live in it and that we're contained by the civilizations, the cultures and societies, this is the Lord's. It belongs to him and he has something in mind for all of this. Down in verse 7, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. So picture the city of Jerusalem. There it is with its, with its giant gates, right, and, and surrounded by walls of safety, and yet the gates where people would come and go. And, and, and somebody wants to come and reside there. Who wants to come? The, the king of glory wants to come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And, and God wants to come into our cities where there are these businesses and these churches and uh, institutions and families and all these different domains that are there. This is the Lord's. This is a society. And he wants to come in and, and to permeate for him, himself to, to be very present and obvious all throughout This city, the king of glory wants to come in to Pomona and to Claremont and to the places that you work in the cities that you live in across the Inland Empire. Now, I want to remind you of something that uh, I said a couple of weeks ago when we started, and that is that this idea of vocation is multidimensional. So the first and foundational thing is that we're called by God into relationship with him. And then we're called into community with other people. And we're called to be certain kinds of people. We're called to be holy people. To, as we've been learning on Sunday mornings, to be people of hope. Uh, We're called to be people who are preparing to live in the new heaven and the new earth. We're called to live in a certain way in relationship with God. In his 1948 Gifford Lectures, under the title Christian Civilization and Culture, theologian Emil Bruner said, faith in the kingdom and in eternal life does not make us indifferent to the tasks with earthly existence lays upon us. On the contrary, the Christian is not only summoned to God, but also summoned to tackle these tasks with special energy and that faith that gives the power to solve these problems better perhaps than we could live, uh, than we could without faith. 
So the foundation of our calling is relationship with God, but it does not end there. It must not end there. That's an inadequate view of Christian faith to think that just called to a someday experience with God is all that it's about. That's not. That's just the beginning. That's the foundation that prepares us to live well in this world. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how there are additional, there are additional locations or roles or stations in which God has called us to. We are called as mothers and fathers, husbands, wives, grandparents, children's brothers and sisters. We're called to families. We're called to be parents. We're called to be spouses and siblings and, and offspring. We are called to neighborhoods and to cities. So, therefore, we're called to be citizens and neighbors. We're called to our schools and places of work. So, if you're in school right now, you're called to be a student If you have a job right now, you're called to that job, to do well in that job. And we're called to the family of God. And globally, near and far, we're a part of that adopted group of people, sons and daughters of God, where we're called to encourage and support and and to serve one another in meaningful ways. All of these are locations, stations, roles, situations. And by virtue of our placement there, we are summoned or called by someone and some ones to be someone, a particular kind of someone as we live among them. Let me tell you a couple of quick stories about some people who've caught on to this idea and lived well into it. One of my students some years ago was a man named Lyle. And Lyle was a middle-aged man, and uh, he was in a job that uh, was kind of a go-nowhere, mid-level management job. And he was in this class I was teaching on this topic of vocation. And in week two, when we began to get uh, down and dirty on the, on the idea of vocation and what it is and, and that it's not just about something fancy out there, something big and important, but down to the basic level of our lives, he began to weep publicly there in class. And I asked him if he would share why and if he was comfortable doing that with all of us, and he said he would. He told me that every day he would come home from work to relieve his wife from the care of their severely disabled daughter. He'd always thought that he should do more, that he should have something important to do for God. But here that night, he came to understand vocation as a way that he could enter that life in that place faithfully and do the work that God had called him to do with his beloved daughter. I think of Bill, the mechanic, who who kept his tools in his truck and drove up and down the freeways after work looking for people who were broken down so he could take the skills that he had and represent God to those people in ways that were tangible and real. I think of Janice, a corporate vice president who liked her job, but who was most satisfied by the long-running, highly successful neighborhood watch program that she began. Or William Wilberforce. Can we go back a little bit? Some of you have seen the movie Amazing Grace, right? Or maybe you've read a biography of Wilberforce. And, and he who really did make a huge difference in his time, a member of parliament. And maybe you remember that great scene from the movie Amazing Grace where he's sitting with his friend William Pitt. And he's on the verge, Wilberforce is on the verge of thinking that he might go into the ministry. He's captured by God and his salvation and the love of God and the wonder of service uh, on behalf of God. And and Pitt looks at him and he says, okay, do you want to worship God or change the world? And he decides, and we can all be grateful that he did, he decides to stick with the government job that he had, the the role in parliament, and he became the leader in the eradication of slavery in the late 1700s there in England. I don't know if you know the story of William Carey. I could talk to you for just the the rest of the hour about William Carey in India, 
who was not just a missionary in the traditional sense who went with the gospel uh, to the place uh, that was so dark and in need uh, of the grace of Christ, but he went, and there in India, he got involved in journalism, started the first uh, uh, national newspapers. He was a horticulturalist. He got involved in linguistics, translating the Bible into a number of different languages. He was a social reformer. He was active in education. And on it goes. William Carey got invested into the different domains of the place that he was living and working there in India for an entire lifetime, his adult life, and made a radical difference there because of his investment in those locations, those places. The field of nursing has a great heritage in the idea of vocation and calling in the story of Florence Nightingale. And we could go on talking about people who were captured this idea of being called by God to the place that they are and then making a difference there in meaningful ways. The verse tonight that kind of will uh, keep us anchored is, is in Ephesians chapter 4. Just that first verse in the, in the chapter where Paul makes a transition from, from the doctrinal understanding of, of our identity in Christ now to the duties. And as he makes that transition, he says it this way, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Let me read that again. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, I love this. Now, Paul knew his calling. I mean, he was clear on it. It it was not a question for him. Romans chapter 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes through faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. He was called that he might call others into relationship with God. And callings always come with assignments back in Ephesians 4. You see, Paul calls himself, in a way, metaphorically, a prisoner of the Lord. He's captured by God, and he says, I can do nothing else but that which God has called me to do. I I am committed to this task. I am enslaved to it, willingly enslaved to do what God has called me to do. But he was also actually literally a prisoner at that time. And in the midst of being a prisoner, it didn't matter that he had a corner office or that, that he had an important title. He was literally a prisoner carrying out his calling as an apostle. He couldn't not do it. Because it was so wrapped up in who he was. And there he was, called even in that place to his assignment, and then calling others to their assignment. I'm inviting you, he says, to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's our call too. Whether we are slugging it out in the ordinary life or walking bravely into great opportunities, we need to live worthy in the calling that we have. Now, tonight I'm going to focus, because the series that we're in is about work, I'm going to focus on our call as it relates to to the tasks that we do as employees. Um, We could talk about the call to motherhood, and we're going to begin to remember that as we move towards next week. Uh, We could talk about our call as Christian citizens, but I want you to think about yourself uh, and the employment that you're involved with. Now, I put a model in your notes, and I hope it might come up here. Oh, do we have the... There it is. Yeah. And I want to say a few things about some of these things uh, that you'll see there in that picture. This comes from R. Paul Stevens, and uh, uh, Dr. Stevens inspired the title for the series that we're in, The Other Six Days, Vocation, Work, and Ministry. And let me see if I can give you sort of a foundation for thinking about this idea that sort of fills it out, I think, in some valuable ways. First of all, our vocation as humans... 
Okay? This is a vocation we share with everyone who's born into the earth. And, and this is uh, uh, now going to remind us of something we said a couple of weeks ago. Some of you were here when we talked about Martin Luther. Martin Luther believed that God put us where he put us in an ordered society so that we might work to meet the needs of those who we live around. So back then, the milkman would need to be a person who would faithfully uh, get the milk and then deliver it uh, to the people uh, who were ready to receive milk. Today, uh, we don't have milkmen so much, but we have grocers and we need them to put food on our nearby shelves. So these are things that are necessary in society. It's been true for all of time. There have been people who've had tasks and assignments that make it all work for us. The key question you'll see there is, what legitimate need am I meeting as a flourishing human for fellow humans? What is it that the world needs from me that's going to allow me to, to live into that calling in a way that's going to make a difference in the lives of people that I, that I share life with? Now, let's look quickly at a, ta- a text that we could spend more time with. We'll just look at it quickly tonight. Genesis 1, 27 through 31. Glenn mentioned this text when we started the series, and it might come up again. It's one of those sort of important ones to keep in our minds. And let me say something about some of the, the, the ideas that come out of this uh, story of creation. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. We'll stop there for just a minute. This is a command that mankind, humankind, has not had much problem obeying, right? We've done a pretty good job at being fruitful and increasing in number. But it does not stop there. It does not stop there. Look what's next. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give you green plant for food. And it was so. Now here we get another set of directions. The directions to fill and to subdue. Now, now, isn't that sort of basically what God already said when he said, be fruitful and multiply and increase on the earth? Isn't, isn't this the same idea? It's actually a bit different. The fruitful and increase is sort of about multiplication. But to fill and subdue the earth is about a particular thing that God has us, uh, is interested in us doing. Uh, listen to what uh, Tim Keller says uh, in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He says, human beings filling the earth means something far different uh, for us than for plants and animals filling the earth. Uh, It means civilization, not just procreation. We get the sense that God does not want merely more individuals of the human species. He also wants the world to be filled with human society. He could have just spoken the word and poof, created millions of people in thousands of human settlements, but he didn't. He made it our job to develop and to build this society. See, civilizations, you know, human settlements where people come together and and begin to do life together are complex structures. They're made up of multiple domains. They're they're made up of, 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 of unique and progressive experiences of what it means to come together as us here in this place, as a culture, as a people in a particular geography. And it requires order and collaboration and stewardship. And there's great 
potential when people come together as civilizations. Look at the next verse, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Not just good. The other five days were described as good. Here we see very good. So what is God doing? What has he done now on the sixth day that led to this unique assessment? Very good. Well, what he did, as you know, is he had created co-creators. He'd given assignments to those who would be his co-rulers on the planet. And what did he make possible? Necessary human work. Work by humans and for her humans. And he had provided the raw materials that people would need in order to take and organize and create and to take the good and to turn it into the very good. In his great book, a book I'll recommend to you tonight, called Culture Making by Andy Crouch, he illustrates it this way. He says, chickens, eggs, good. Omelet, very good. (laughs) Right? Uh, Trees and, and wood, good. A handcrafted piece of furniture for your living room, a beautiful chair, very good. Right? The legitimate human needs of food and homemaking. How about this one? The lapis lazuli stone. Good. Deep, rich blue pigment that comes from the lapis lazuli stone. Very good. Ultramarine paint. Very, very good. The art of 17th century Dutch painter Johan Vermeer, who was known to use the ultramarine paint and that beautiful pigment from the lapis lazuli stone, very, very, very good. As the legitimate human need of aesthetic pleasure gets manifested in an artist who God has gifted. When we become active working in our human vocation, we are being what humans should be and we are serving uh, mankind in meaningful kinds of ways. Now, let's talk next about this next piece, uh, the next layer of the model there, our our vocation as persons. So the vocation of persons matches what we learned a couple weeks ago. John Calvin had to say about this topic of vocation. Calvin taught that God gave us each unique abilities, which provided ways for us to make particular kinds of service that would reflect our authentic personhood. The question there that we're going to put in the blanks, if you like, is how is my contribution meaningful, flowing from my unique gifts, strengths, background, interests, etc.? We learned a bit about this this morning, didn't we? When we uh, spent time, some of you heard, and and I encourage you to give a listen to to Glenn's uh, talk this morning about our gifts that God has given us. Part of what gives us hope is that we have been given gifts by God to use in service to others. We need to figure out what God has put in us and get it out of us for the good of others in the church community and in our larger community. Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, of which I am one of them, I know full well. God said this very clearly when he called Jeremiah to the task of prophet. Jeremiah was standing around one day, feeling rather innocent. Life was good. Yes, there were hard times happening, but he was in a comfortable place. God calls him and says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. From conception 
or, or maybe before, in the ledger of heaven, God knew what Jeremiah's gifts and ultimately his calling would be. This is the calling of Jeremiah the person, to be the person who would make a difference in a difficult season of Israel's history. I mentioned the uh, speaker at commencement yesterday at Azusa Pacific, uh, Jackie Slater. You, some of you will know his name. He played for the Rams from 1976 to the mid-1990s, and uh, he was the speaker yesterday. He also took this class on vocation that I'm, that I'm talking to you from today. And uh, I was worried when he came to the class because this is a class where it's especially inspiring for younger people who are just sort of beginning and thinking about what am I going to do with my life, Right? Uh, sort of beginning to anticipate that thing that, that would be that sweet spot, that, that place that they could serve and work and really make a difference. And here comes, here comes a guy who had played, a, had a whole career with the NFL. He was, he's a Hall of Famer. He, um, he was um, working for Fox uh, News as a sports broadcaster. He, he, he'd had lots of experience there. He'd uh, started some, some businesses. And, and here he was, can you learn about his vocation? I loved watching what happened to Jackie over the course of the semester because what he began to realize is how all that God put in him and had continued to put in him over, over the months of his childhood and over the years of his young adulthood and over his early career and even his second career, it all cascaded over time into bringing him to the place that he was today. And he would say, I think I'm really getting clear on my calling. You know what Jackie does that just brings him great joy and he feels is like kind of the place where it all comes together is he finds other big young men who aren't sure what to do with their bodies but have a sense of interest in, in athletics and he, and he mentors them and he invests himself in them. He coaches them and he helps them to find their way in athletics and to make some personal character issues uh, working in their lives along the way as well. So God takes all of this stuff and he puts it into our lives and he makes us specially gifted to make a particular kind of difference in the lives of those that we're around. This is the, the issue of the, of the person's calling, the foundation of the human vocation, then the calling of each individual. But then there's a third aspect of this that is unique to us who are here. This is the vocation of disciples. How can I live and grow as a follower of Christ even as I participate in discipling the nations within and through my vocational domain? I've chosen a couple passages here, Old and New Testament, to help us out. Uh, let's start with Psalm 67, and I'm going to read it and comment a bit along the way about some things I'd like you to see in this passage. Psalm 67. The psalmist says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And in some ways, we often, as Christians, end right there. We end with the, isn't it great how God has blessed us and God is so gracious to, to, to us. And we thank him and we, and we are sincerely grateful. But there lies in verse 2, right after this testimony of God's blessing in our lives, two words we should not forget, so that. Why has God blessed you? Why has God been so gracious to you? So that your ways may be known on the earth. And so, God, that your salvation may be known among all the nations. We tend to focus in Protestant evangelical churches on the, uh, on the salvation part of that that your salvation may be known on all, on all the earth. But there's something we shouldn't miss here about the idea of his ways being known, here and now. 
His ways being known so that it says, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. I looked up this word joy to try to figure out what was happening in there. And it means that there is full and complete, from top to bottom, head to toe, exuberant joy in who? In peoples, in nations, in in civilizations that together are are made up of all these domains and And what the psalmist wants to see happen is that the peoples and the nations will be filled with an understanding of his ways and overflowing with joy because when you do it God's way, it works. It is as it should be. For you rule, says the the psalmist. You rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations. So God is ruling here and and he's guiding. But how is he doing that? Well, I think he's doing that the same way that then he makes omelets and, and, and furniture and, and, and beautiful paintings. He's doing it through you. And he's doing it through me. As we live according to the rule and guidance of God, and as other people see that in us, they will come to understand something unique, and they will cling to that, and it will fill them, and they will overflow with joy. Verse 5, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth may fill him. There's going to be a great harvest, literally and figuratively, in in communities of people when the, the domains are living into the things that God has called them to in strategic and meaningful ways. Praise, universal praise. God will get the credit, but it will be us who are making the difference on his behalf. You know Matthew 28. I want to point out something uh, particular to you here in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority. So here he is again, the King of glory. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You know the rest. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, see, the king of glory wants entry. He wants to come into nations and thereby make a difference in them in such a way that they are transformed. You notice something interesting here. It says to make disciples of all nations. Like Psalm 67, there, there's, there's, this, there's this call that we have to disciple the peoples, to disciple the nations and all that makes them up. And how do you do that? Well, nations, peoples, are made up of people. They're made up of persons. They're made up of individuals who work with you and are part of the, 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 the place in society that makes a difference that you are making a difference. And you're there with them. How do we disciple nations? That's huge. You disciple the people who make up the nation in that sphere of influence that you have, and you help them to understand the ways of the king of glory so that that might begin to transform them personally and ultimately transform the work that they're called to do. I want to say a little bit about this idea of priests again. We'll we'll revisit this a few times. I think we have uh, in a number of points along this series already. Uh, the, the ones who are called to make disciples are also called priests. We have this a few times in the, in the, in the New Testament, illustrating for us that we, we have a, 
a shared vocation with the people of Israel who were called to be priests among the nations in their day. So too, we are called to be priests among the nations in our day. And so what do priests do? And my hope right now is that you'll reclaim this title for yourself. That you won't just delegate the idea of priest to our professional clergy who serve us in their vocation, but that you would take it upon yourself and say, I am a priest among the nations. I, when I go to work, I'm a priest there. What does a priest do then if that's your assignment? The first is that they represent the people to God. They represent the people to God. So a great place to look at this, we won't do it now, is Acts chapter, I'm sorry, uh, Leviticus chapter 17, when we have the description of the Day of Atonement, when we see clearly the the role of the priest to be uh, one who brings the sacrifice and is the intercessor to God there in the holy place, there in the holy of holy place, to be the intercessor before God on behalf of the people who he comes to represent. Well, how can we connect this to our work uh, uh, vocationally, to our, to our employment? Here's a challenge I want to give you. Here's a homework assignment. Can I give it to you, a homework assignment? Um, for you to think about and to think deeply about the, the domain in which you work, right, and the kinds of things that need to happen there. Um, what are the kinds of assignments that, that are involved in that particular domain? What are the cultural expectations for that? What, what does it look like when it's being done well? And then develop a prayer that's specific around that particular domain and begin to pray that for yourself, for your coworkers, and for even the larger community of people who do what you do. I found one online that illustrates this for scientists and, and technology. Just listen to this as, as an example. Here's a, here's a prayer of thanksgiving for all who work in science and technology. We praise you, O God, for creating humankind in your image and giving all human beings a common genetic makeup, regardless of race, gender, or ethnicity. <clears throat> we are awed by the knowledge that there are billions of cells in our bodies, and each one of them stores the secret of life in its DNA. We are amazed by scientists' use of technology to learn about cells, tissues, and organs, and how any changes in the gene can affect our daily lives. We pray for all scientists, engineers, students, teachers, physicians, technicians who work diligently to unfold your holy mysteries and ask your blessing on each one of them. May these technological developments be used for the good of all and to alleviate suffering from the world. We thank you, O God, for the wisdom and knowledge you bestow upon scientists who work at revealing the secrets of creation. We stand in awe and wonder at the history of the universe and of life on this planet. This knowledge strengthens our faith in your creative power. We are grateful for this wonderful creation and for being a part of your blessing. Praise be to you, O God. Is that great? So that's your homework assignment. How can you as a priest represent God before the people by bringing them to him in prayer in in strategic and specific kinds of ways? What's your area of work? What kind of prayers can you bring? The reverse of that is the other side of the priesthood assignment, and that's that they represent God to the people. Having been people who, who walk with God, you're, you're in church, you're spending time reading the Scriptures, you're, you're interested in the story of, uh, of the Bible, you then come from that and you enter your world and this, this domain where you serve. 
And like Ezra, who we read, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to then teach statutes and ordinances to Israel, like Ezra the priest, we need to prepare our hearts so that when we go to work, we've got something meaningful to share with those people, perhaps even transformational. Now here I want you to, to, to put your seatbelts on because I want you to stay focused and, and get this, right? Because in the next few minutes, I want to give you some ways to think about this that I hope will be emblazoned in your mind from this day forth as you go to work. As Christ followers, we approach our work from a different starting point. This is in the notes if you're writing this down. And we imagine a different destination. We start from a different perspective and we want things to happen maybe differently than others who don't have our worldview or don't share our story. So there's a picture up here. Let's get this next picture of the, of the boxes. Do we have that? Okay. And there's not a lot of room to write in your notes, but you can make little arrows and things if you want to write this down. Here's, here's how most people see it, right? They, they, they're at work and they're being conformed by the world's story as they carry out their work. Uh, the, the, in their story, all there is is what they can see and touch and prove, This story is about getting it, whatever it is, and in whatever way they need to get it, and then keeping it to themselves. Uh, The heroes in this story are often celebrities. It doesn't matter sometimes whether they're good guys or bad guys, right? It's the people who are making it big, which often means finances and fame, okay? But that's an incomplete story of reality. It's an incomplete view of ultimacy and of truth. You see, we live in a bigger story, a story that reminds us that we're captured by... Go to the next slide. There it is. A story that that surrounds us and gives context to the smaller story of the world, but it does more than just give context. It weaves, and it provokes, and it challenges, and it critiques. And in this story, we see God the creator and the sustainer We see Jesus the Savior who has completed and yet somehow isn't finished with the work that he has begun. We see the story of of a governor who's also a good teacher who wants us to understand how to live. Now both stories and most stories have three elements that make them what they are. The first you'll see, and let's go to that next slide with uh, the chart there, and it's in your notes, and illustrating from the gospel, is this idea that, that things should be a certain way. And in our faith, we call that, the, the part of the story we call that is the creation, where, where, where it's spelled out what paradise was meant to be in human relationships and our relationship with the earth and our, our relationship with creation and material things and, of course, with God. But then the the story, and other stories do this too, the world story does this, the kingdom story does this. What's the problem? We call this in Christian faith the fall. And we read in Genesis chapter 3 about how Satan came and sin came and relationships were broken. And then we see that there is a way that things can be fixed. In Christian faith, we call this reconciliation. And it's a picture of how Jesus came as the source uh, and and the the promise of restoration, right? So all stories have this, and a description of those who are difference makers uh, in that story for us disciples at work, and then they begin to build their life around that story. Uh, You'll see up here an example from business. I'm just going to give you one today to illustrate this. 
How should it be? The prevailing story in the, in the domain of business is economic flourishing. The, the problem that, this, uh, that means it's not working as it should is, oh, we don't have enough money. How do we fix it? Through corporate profit at any cost. And the role of difference makers, serve the organization. Be an enticing brand. Represent for people that this is what it's all about to be successful and aim towards that. Well, what if Christians came along saying that story may not be all right or all wrong. It's only part of the story, perhaps. What if we were in a bigger story? What if we understood in business as Christians that the goal is enough for everyone? What if we understood that the problem was unwise stewardship and selfishness and greed? Those were the things that were keeping people back. What if the way it could be fixed was through quality products and healthy workplaces and excellent service uh, bestowed on us and through transformed people who see the world differently, the world of business? And what about if difference makers were humble innovators who cared for the three Ps, for, the, for people, the planet, and the profit? Now, here's one thing that will happen when this story begins to unfold. People will get a sense of who God is differently than if they just were concerned to understand him from the one day. When a bunch of us show up in places like this and lift our hands and our voices to God, and, and their view of God's part of it, but their view of God is so limited. As business begins to live out its kingdom story, it illustrates for people that God is a good provider. And it demonstrates that he is somebody who is concerned about our well-being. Now, in the notes there, I uh, have put a a blank, and that blank is for you. I, I, I just gave you a second homework assignment, I think, okay? Okay. We have just a couple minutes, so let me see if I can bring some things together here, okay? We have to be people who don't limit our way of thinking about Christian faith to the phrase, not of this world. Because we live in a world, go to the slide with the, with the bubbles on it now, we live in a world where we're surrounded by these domains, so in your notes, it's, there's kind of a box there at the bottom of the page. Uh, we've got education and science and arts and entertainment, service, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And if you come from a starting place in the domain of darkness, we're told that we've been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, into the kingdom of light. When you start at a starting point with the kingdom of light, you can see things differently. It looks more like this, right? There's a beautiful transformation that occurs and there's dimension and impact and health and well-being and goodness because you bring what you have from the kingdom of life, that different starting point, and then a different destination to see it all come together in meaningful ways. Let me just give you these four final blanks. I won't go into details on them, but I'd like you to walk away with these thoughts. First of all, domains have vocations. They have creational purposes that God intends for them. What they are meant to offer is very good. That's God's intent. You have a vocation, a calling, but so does the domain in which you work, having something distinctive that God wants it to do in living out its purposes in the world. Second, workplaces and their larger domains typically craft mythologies that justify what has become their slanted purpose. So, you know, they're not standing tall. They're not maybe crashed down. They're not, you know, like the, the, the uh, what do you call that group of people, the gangsters and, and uh, the, uh, Godfather? Mafia. The mafia, okay? 
Your domain is not the mafia. It's not... <laughs> but maybe it's somewhere and it's slanted, right? It's not living... There's a gap. Uh, Ezekiel talks about God. God says, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap to help that domain, that place of work, that environment to become what it should be. The next one. We're going past the scriptures, yeah. When social domains fulfill their uh, creational assignment, God meets human needs through them, and by this, the distinctiveness of God's character is expressed. So, so think about what is it that when done well, in my place of work, when we're living according to God's purposes for us, our calling, the world will see and understand God in fuller and richer kinds of ways, Right? In, in health care, that God is perceived as a healer. In, in, uh, in um, art, that God is perceived as somebody who loves beauty and creativity, right? He loves fun and enjoyment. What is God understood to be when he's begun to be lived out through your domain? And finally, when disciples bring their powerful contributions, their spiritual insights, their creative intelligence and excellence of effort to work, paying attention to the unique opportunities of this time and this situation, God uses them to advance his purpose. We're told of David in Acts chapter 13 that he lived according to the time and the purpose that God had called for him. And then it says, here's here's what uh, uh, Paul says when he's explaining this about David. He lived into his purpose for his time, and then he died, and he underwent decay but the one who rose who will never decay. And so you give your life to to places of influence and service. You give your life to be a difference maker with your family and in your workplace, and then you decay. But he does not. And you, by what you do, invite people to understand that the, the, the person of God yesterday, today, and forever, Lisa, right? Always the same, always here. And yet how do we help people to see that? by making a difference in the places that God's called us to serve. Let me pray for us tonight. Lord, thank you uh, that you have called us at the foundation to this unbelievable truth that we get to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. But it does not end there. You have blessed us and you have been gracious to us so that we might bring your ways to the nations, the civilizations, the communities, and all that makes them up that we might see them ultimately turn back and give you praise. Help us each to awaken uh, to ourselves ways that we can be priests in the places you've called us to do, makers of disciples, uh, uh, influencers, and people who make an impact that your name might be praised and that our world might work more as it should. Guide us even this week as we prepare to go back to those places that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.